Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This episode is being recorded live at the Etail East Trade Show in sunny Boston on Tuesday, August 7th. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. Unfortunately, Scott had a personal conflict and wasn't able to make the show, so you guys are stuck with just me. But uh, we have some great guests this week, and uh, first up, we are excited to have Dr. Luraz Margalit uh, from Clicktail on the show. Uh, Luraz is head of behavioral research at Clicktail, and she's going to share some fascinating um, psychological research that that uh, she's been conducting about. Um, uh, online shoppers and their behaviors. Welcome to the show, Raz. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here. Uh, the pleasure is entirely ours. Um, one thing we always like to do to get things started on the show is just hear a little bit of background about the guest. So uh, maybe you could take just a minute and tell us how how you came into the... Uh, it doesn't seem like online marketing is necessarily the first place you think right, of for psychology. Right. So interesting. Um, the fact that we, there is no such a degree in website uh, or web psychology or digital psychology and people keep coming to me and ask how can I uh, become a web psychologist and there is no one answer so for me I have a PhD in psychology I'm specialized in decision making processes and cognition also game theory and over the past five years I've been utilizing models from cognitive psychology neuropsychology and behavioral economics to better understand how we can uh, understand and identify customer behavior in the digital world because we know that there is a slight difference and no no you know what it's not so slight there are differences between how people behave online and in the physical world and they are communicate differently even their personality traits sometimes change like if someone is an extrovert he can become an introvert and vice versa so I think there is a huge need to understand how people behave in those uh, in those media and those arenas. So uh, this is what I do. That's very cool, and I'm excited to dig into it. Uh, before we go too deep, uh, maybe we should tell our listeners just a little bit about Clicktail for anyone that's not familiar. Sure, sure. So Clicktail is uh, an experience analytics company. So what we do is that we uh, try to analyze and understand the customer's behavior, their motivation. Um, for example, what makes them, uh, the, what motivates them to purchase a certain product, uh, why they would um, hesitate before clicking on a call to action, their journey, uh, the differences. We can have different behavioral patterns. We are talking about thousands of visitors all together. So we can uh, take a view of individual visitor or of um, thousands of visitors all together and this is how we can have insight into what's going on in their mind before they're deciding to purchase or to leave a website or what is their experience uh wonderful and uh, the way i sort of think of it there's lots of tools out there that i'll call um page analytics tools that sort of keep track of how a consumer moves from page to page. Um, and what's unique about Quicktail is, in my mind, you were one of the very first tools that were what I'll call on-page analytics. And you could actually see all the micro-behaviors of the consumer while they're spending time on a page. So are they, you know, are they scrolling? Are they hovering? I mean, I, I know there's a small part of it, but like, 
very superficially, I think people always think of like the heat maps and understanding yeah. where like the real fold is on the page. How far down is the consumer exactly. really going? Exactly. So there is a common mistake that we are a heat map company, but it is uh, it goes much deeper than heat maps. So, for example, if you think about it, I can understand how you feel. I can understand what you are going to remember from the experience only based on how you interacted with the different pages. I can understand if you are going through shifts from positive to negative, from negative to positive, and I can take uh, into consideration all your behaviors and actually see who you are or your personality traits or your current mindset. So there is a whole lot of things that we can detect only based on your micro-level behaviors. I feel like I'm never going shopping again. I love online shopping, and now I'm terrified <laughs> that all my deepest secrets are going to be revealed by my my, my mouse behavior. So, so no, so I you've have, just made me uh, very self conscious. But I have uh, actually, I can ease it up for you because I don't care who you are. I mean, I care a lot about you. Oh, of thanks. Course, but like, from uh, we can't, uh, we are not going to save the information about you, the gender, only based on what you do what you did online. So that's it. And it means that I don't know who you are. I can only see what you're doing online. Yep. And that is, that is another interesting thing. Like a lot of times when people think about personalization or even I, I care more about relevancy necessarily than personalization, they think about like storing and collecting data and knowing who each user is individually and accumulating more insight that you can somehow use to change the experience. One of the things that's, that's cool about this field is you can use kind of contextual signals in a single session. So it can be a entirely anonymous shopper or a shopper you've never uh, seen before, and you can instantly start getting some signals you can use to make the experience more relevant for her. Exactly, exactly. So as I look at it, I, I view it as a language model, meaning that at the bottom of the model, we have the letters, of course. So these are like the clicks and the scrolls and the hovers. And then you go one level up and then we can talk about words. For example, if you click and but before you clicked, you hesitate. So I will call it hesitation or you uh, uh, scroll really fast or really slow. So this is another level. And then at the app, we have the mindset. For example, if you are goal oriented, so I would see a direct action and then a click. So meaning that you know exactly what you are looking for and how to accomplish this on the website. So I can actually understand your mindset if you are focused, if you are frustrated. So this is um, like the, the sentences in the language. Very cool. And it's, uh, this is maybe a silly analogy, but the, the experience I feel like most online uh, consumers have had that makes this sort of apparent is the, the little button, uh, I am not a robot. Right. And, right. And everyone goes, well, that's stupid. Like if I were a robot, I would be able to, to, <laughs> to click that click button. That button. Uh, and and what, what you're not realizing is that that widget is watching how you move your mouse right. to the button and the the unique way that a human being moves the mouse is different than the perfectly linear way a, 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 an algorithm is likely to do it. This is the magic word, actually, the how, because actually my whole research is focused on the how customers behave and not what you are doing. And also, you know, um, there are many, many companies today that try to detect what you said or like your, um, your, the text that you used. But 
Uh, I think that it doesn't matter because, you know, 70% of our day-to-day -day interactions are actually based on nonverbal signals, meaning that it's not about what we are saying to one another. So I can ask you if you like to come over and you will say yes because you are being polite. But from the way you say it, from the how you say it, I can infer that you really don't like to come over. So it's about our body gestures and our facial expression when we're talking about the physical world. But when we're talking about the online arena, it is also about the how exactly as you described right now. Yeah, so uh, it's super exciting. Let's jump right into it. Now, you've done sort of three big areas of research, uh, and I, I want to at least be able to touch on all of them. Um, the the first one is one we talk a ton about on the show. Uh, we talk about this thing we call the mobile gap, right? And in general, uh, you've got all the traffic on the web is predominantly moving to mobile devices, but if you're an e-commerce site, people don't tend to shop as frequently and successfully on mobile devices as they used to on desktop. So, you, right. so that's a, a scary trend. And we're always talking about uh, how sites can do better, what we can fix in the customer experience. And, and you know, frankly, uh, you have a chance to settle a, or weigh in on a dispute Scott and I always have um, uh, without putting words in Scott's mouth while he's not here, but he's not here, so I might as well. Uh, <laughs> he thinks some of that gap is intrinsic and that it's just harder to shop on mobile devices and the screen's less oh, convenient like and small. Oh, like technical issues. Yeah, um, not all of it, I don't think he would say, but I, I think he would you know, just say, hey, it's less convenient. Um, and, and I argue that a lot of it is... Uh, inferior experiences and execution uh, that as we get better, we can remediate and, and that we should expect to see the mobile gap um, sort of narrow. So I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on yeah. that and tell us, tell us a little bit about the study and what you learned. So, yeah, I'm sorry, Scott, but I will have to go with your, uh, with your assumption about it. Yes. <laughs> so um, we, we are calling it a mobile mindset, meaning that I think exactly as you described, we have uh, a different mindset as we go on mobile. And if you think about it, uh, it is done unconsciously. It starts with our body posture, meaning that uh, when, you, um, when you browse uh, through the desktop, when you at your table, so you are straight up. So it actually affects who you are, what you think, what you do. And when we on our mobile device, we are usually on the go. And for us, our mobile, we have an association between our mobile and our social uh, social lives. And we are more conscious about uh, about what we do. And that is why we like to buy more priceless thing on the mobile. And, you know, our mobile is like an extension of our body. So we treat it completely differently. You know, um, studies uh, that was conducted about people, how they treat their mobile. They found that if I will give you my mobile, people, I will start be, being jealous at you for touching my mobile. So if you think about it, all the touch behavior, they make us feel more emotional about our mobile. So also from uh, one thing that we have discovered is that we are viewing completely different types of content, like more sports, more social media on our mobile, like Facebook and uh, Instagram for, uh, for Generation Z. And when we're talking about our desktop, so most of us will also feel more secure, like to complete the purchase. So like there is uh, a process, a cycle, you'll start with your mobile, you browse for things and you will end it with your desktop. But um, they also, because we feel more emotional 
when we are holding our mobile. So we will be more um, of an impulse purchaser, meaning that we, we are not going to think about it too much. We are not going to use our rational system because, you know, we have two different systems operating in our mind, system one and system two. So system two is the rational system. And system one is the emotional. It is more automatic. So it is based on rule-based. You don't think too much. So this is exactly how you behave on your mobile. You don't think too much. You play uh, out of habit. So this is a habit firming. Most of the mobile website or the mobile apps, these are uh, habit firming apps. And when you are like you lost yourself, you don't think too much. So that is why we will buy more. Uh, we will uh, be engaged in a more impulse purchase. And for the desktop, we are more self-aware and we are more price conscious. And um, there is another effect because you have this big screen. So so uh, exactly as Scott said. Um, so because you have this big screen, this is an illusion that you can see it clearly. You can see all the details. So uh, for some people, most uh, for the elderly guys, um, it is uh, like the feeling they feel more safe to purchase on their desktop. Very cool. And so, uh, and I imagine it's all somewhat relative because I like, so for example, I always talk about how in UX design, everyone likes to, to act very rational, right? And, and, uh, you know, my premise is the overwhelming majority of all purchase decisions are made with that fast system. They're made with the, the irrational is not the right word, the subconscious, um, portion of our brain. And, uh, and so what you're saying is on the mobile device, it's even more so. Yeah, um, definitely. And so one of my takeaways from that is well, there's been this big trend, uh, and they slightly misuse the word, but we'll call it responsive design. Like right. one one experience, and it's just kind of fluid and liquid, so it can flex to fit a big desktop screen or a small mobile screen. And, well, that's certainly better than having an experience that doesn't fit the screen. Uh, it's probably not the optimal experience because, no. to your point, there there could be exactly. more emotional triggers that I'd want to deliver to someone on that mobile device, and there might be exactly. more rational, objective information that I want to deliver to that. Yeah, definitely. That's what I keep saying to our client. It's not about the design. The design shouldn't be different. What should be different is the content, the type of content, because on the mobile we are on the go. So mostly we are not going to be interested in all the details and information. We want to, to see images. We want to be uh, to have an access uh, to the information, and we want a more emotional content like... Um, like, for example, if we're talking about our social media, so we want to be connected to our social media. We want to, to know what my friends bought before me. But on the desktop, this is completely different. On the desktop, we want to review all the details very carefully. We want to have access to, to other reviews. So, yeah, it's not about the design. It's about the content should be completely different and it should fit our mindset, our mobile or desktop mindset. Yeah, that's very cool. And so I think of that as sort of like on the desktop, I might want to deep dive into all the reviews and the numerical ratings. Yeah. On the mobile, I want to see a picture of the person from my social network that I know exactly. that, that bought this product and had a good outcome. Um, yeah, that's that's um, super interesting and exciting. Uh, part of me, it's sad because I feel like most designers work on these super expensive giant monitors. And if anything, they they save their best most emotional visual experiences 
for the big screen. And then when they say, hey, what's the mobile experience? They're like, yeah. oh, it's much smaller. I'm just going to give them a thumbnail and give exactly. them more text. And and uh, what you're finding is that's exactly opposite of the, exactly. the context of the user. Um, very interesting. I could talk about mobile with you all day, um, but I'm super interested to dive into the the next two studies. Um, and the next one that we were talking about um, is this area that I think is a huge opportunity for people to improve their customer experience. It's uh, shopping stress. Right, right, exactly. So, you know, there are uh, different steps to the shopping stress. There are different findings. So first, we know that for some of us, shopping is like an addiction. It's like um, you like to go shopping the same as you like to smoke. It's relaxing and fun and you get to forget about yourself and just be like when you play a mobile de- uh, like a mobile game so for some people it is exactly the same mostly women but uh, there are also some men that like to shop however although we know that it's supposed to be fun and enjoyable it can be also it can also be stressful especially when we are talking about the checkout process and especially for men because what we have found is that we can uh, we have two different mindset for men and for women i think the differences between how men shop and how women shop is extremely important here because we said that um, men they want to find what they want they go shopping they know what they want ahead of time, and they want to find it as quickly as possible. They are looking for similarly related items. Um, They are uh, price conscious, and it's not about the fun. It's not about the pleasure. But for women, it's not about the end result. So we found that sometimes women will enjoy the process itself. They derive pleasure from the experience. They seek uh, fun, sensory stimulation when they are shopping. So it's all about applying the associative thinking. So they can start with, uh, I don't know, a, a baby bed and skincare, and they will find uh, go uh, find themselves going shopping for bag, for example. So uh, it's all about the pleasure and the fun and the associations. So um, you can see why it is less stressful for women if you are going to focus on the experience itself. But for men, if you are looking for something and you cannot find it, especially... Uh, in the holiday season, or if you really need something, um, so then it becomes pretty stressful. Yeah, and and it's it's interesting to me. I, I often feel like the best opportunities to improve experiences and and uh, increase conversion is uh, shockingly sometimes less about. Um, more tools for task completion and more about this stress avoidance that like the low hanging fruit is usually what can I take out of the experience that's causing um, these stressors and releasing like all those hormones into the bot. Like, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, the stressors. Yeah, exactly. Because um, what we see is that people, uh, the designer, for example, they don't think, about the customer's state of mind. They think what they need, like what would I need to find, but they don't think about the actual experience. So let me give you one example. We found that the most stressful thing for some people is that they're entering a voucher or there is a voucher and they don't have it. So they keep comparing themselves to the other people because we are all engaged in social comparison. So, oh my God, I could have this item in a lower price and I can't have it. So no, I'm not going to buy it. Even if it is uh, even if it is not of a discount, if it is not that high of a price. So uh, we need to think about the psychology of our customers because those types of things, they are what make them stressful. 
Yes, and that that particular use case is a huge pet peeve because not only is it it hideous, it's at the exact wrong point. It's at the very end of that purchase funnel. Exactly. They're 99% of the way through, and you just set a new anchor, changed their pricing perception, and made them feel like they're stupid if they make this purchase. Yeah. Without a, and none of us, none of us like to feel that way. Um, another one uh, that I talk a lot about is uh, just the underlying speed and performance of the the site. And it's shocking to me um, how much stress it induces just when the page loads slow or a button someone right. clicks. Because you feel, what what's went wrong? And, oh, my God, what about my money? Because whenever it comes to your money, because if you think about it, not long, I mean, of course, we have the internet for many years now, but still, like the money is going somewhere. We cannot see it. It's not like we can feel the actual money. So everything about what's going on with the transaction can make us really, really stressful, even if it's just uh, like a slight error and everything. Because And then even if it was a slight error and everything comes back to normal afterwards, we will still have a negative feeling about the experience. This is the interesting thing. Yeah, that memory effect exactly. from that. Um, so uh, there's a study out, and I'm, I'm terrified someone's going to debunk this study because it's one of my favorite uh, studies in the space. Uh, but they were they were studying um, the the level of stress inducement from different experiences, uh, and the baseline was watching a horror movie, and uh, and they actually found that like. Uh, the average subject was releasing more uh, uh, cortisol and having, you know, more of a stress reaction to a, a slow mobile page right. than watching a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I, just, I think that's hysterical. Like the most talented, creative people in the world that are intentionally trying to stress you out. And yeah. yet just having a slow web page can uh, accomplish the, the same experience on the part of the user. Exactly. And you know what's the interest? Another interesting finding was that when we're talking about the holiday season, so when you need to to buy for to buy something, you will feel much more stressful, and then we can see more uh, disoriented behavior. And because when we shop about it's and when and it's all about the fun, and we don't have a certain purpose of purchasing, then it can be relaxing and fun, and we can avoid everything else in the in the neighborhood. But when we need to do something, it becomes stressful. And we need to pay attention to this. Yeah. And again, like when you're giving practical advice to people and you're saying like, so maybe that that best experience during a particularly task oriented season, like like holiday season or your big annual sale needs to be different than the browsing experience that exactly. you might. Exactly. Yeah. Any other like key pieces of advice that you give clients based on the emotion yeah. research? Yeah. Based on the uh, stress research. Uh -huh. So we know that we actually analyze how men and women shop. And we found that men, they don't like the broad selection. And for women, if they don't have the broad selection, it's like they didn't. If, for example, I'm going to buy a certain jeans and I find exactly what I wanted, like the exact size, the exact color, I will feel uh, frustrated because it's all, if it's all about the shopping, I like to have a broad selection. It's part of the fun to try it out in the brick and mortar store. But also uh, when we're talking about the online experiences, we need to have the accessories and we need to have a broad selection and we need something that fits um, the, our association path. So uh, we really need to create a different experience for men and for women. That That's super interesting. And uh, like, so there's this... Um 
a book and a principle that's out there in uh, uh, that a lot of laymen are familiar with, The Paradox of Choice. Right. Right? I think Dan Ariely. Dan and, Ariely, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, really smart guy, lots of super interesting uh, insights. insights. Um, I feel like that particular insight is now um, – has been difficult to repeat. Like the, right. the whole notion that, that uh, the original test for listeners that maybe don't know is you bring a shopper to a, a shelf with a bunch of jellies on it. Um, and if there's more... Uh, 24 so- versus 6. There were two, um, uh, two flavors. Uh, like they were trying to have a sampling station of gems. So uh, in a grocery store, there was uh, 24 flavors of jam and only six. So most people, of course, came to the 24. But when we're talking about how many purchased, they purchased uh, three times more when they were offered only six flavors of gems. Which is fascinating, right? And so the the original insight there was... But this this wasn't Diner, really. This was Sheena Enger. But, yeah, he's talking about her study. Yeah, he, he's talking about her study, and he made it very popular by writing a consumer book. Exactly. Um, and, and he is very approachable. I enjoy his his writing quite a bit. But uh, And so the takeaway from there was like, oh, my gosh, Apple, they have 47 different kinds of laptops. And when Steve Jobs made them uh, normalize it down to three laptops, uh, it reduced a lot of shopping stress. It did all these things. Right. and And they sold a lot more. And so there was suddenly this – huge trend towards curation. Um, And I think what we've seen in further studies is there are contexts in which that that effect is very real, per your your point, you know, uh, fundamental differences between men and women. Exactly. It depends. And there are other contexts where it's actually a mistake to assume that curation is what wins. So it's all about segmentation. It's all about, I mean, when we're talking about personalization, what is personalization? It's actually the realization that we have different types of customers, so we have to provide them with different types of experiences. And we know the two words that I hate the most in all this like uh, online arena is best practices. Because what are best practices? It's actually saying, okay, so uh, we have a common basis for everyone, and we don't. We don't. We need to treat everyone as a, an individual and as, as his own stay, taste. And uh, this is the opposite of best practices. Yeah, absolutely. But the actual technical definition of best practices is whatever I say. No, I'm just <laughs> – I'm totally teasing. Yeah, but you're, you're of course right, right? And, and it's – I mean that's a cognitive bias too, right? Like the decision, uh, clients are overwhelmed with all these decisions that they have to make. And sometimes it's just easier to abdicate some of these decisions and say, hey, what have people done before me <laughs> yeah. and had a good outcome? And what they don't understand is – there's an unlimited number of variables that affected that outcome that are not the same uh, exactly. in, in your circumstances. Sometimes you are not aware of all these variables. Can't be in many cases. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's, it's fascinating. But still, for my clients, just feel free to just take my advice. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, and as, as uh, my clients hopefully know, uh, I don't recommend that either, right? Like it's, it's interesting to have hypotheses, but like it's, it's certainly good to test those. And to your point, the old model of – one size fits all, test yeah. something, and then, a, you know, that's why, like, frankly, uh, we've, we've had all this A-B testing and multivariant testing in the world for a long time, and there's this interesting phenomenon. Uh, conversions no better than it was 10 years yeah. ago. Everything regresses to the mean uh, in many cases. Exactly. And, and part of it's because the, the experience that succeeded for 
shopper A does not succeed for, for shopper, shopper B. B. And it's not only that, because if you actually mention A-B test, there is another problem with A-B test. Because when I talk to designers or to product analysts and they are trying out some tests, they don't really have, they have a notion Maybe, like they have an intuition, maybe it will work, maybe it's not, but it's not based on a cognitive assumption, it's not based on psychological research, and at the end of the day, we are dealing with human beings. So it's not about, okay, so I have an idea, let's try it out. It's about how people will behave and about treating the psychological research, and I know that you don't have time for this, but it will, at the end of the day, at the long run, it will save you so much time. Yeah, and and uh, then side note, because most people are using these tests to validate a preference rather than actually learn from a test. <laughs> yeah. Like they're also they're they're generally the math is horribly flawed, and people don't don't use proper sample sizes and assume things. But uh, uh, we don't have time to talk about that today. <laughs> okay. um, you you have a third study uh, which I've only recently just learned about on emotions. So tell right. us about that. Right. Um, so uh, we know that, for example, in a report that first recently released, they wrote that brands that want to break away from the pack should focus on emotions. And you know, the part that I like the most is how an experience makes customer feel has a bigger influence on the loyalty to a brand and effectiveness or ease of use in nearly every industry. And you know what? We know it's not only Forster. Over the past five years, we kept on hearing about the significant role of emotions in driving engagement and experience and brand awareness and loyalty in organizations. But here is the thing. No one really knows and no one really tells you how. What is the mechanism behind it? You know, what's the relationship between emotions and experiences and how emotions can be utilized to drive digital experiences? So this is exactly what we set up to do. And what we really need to ask is how our brain memorizes daily experiences. And what we really need to be discussing is not emotion per se, but emotion as a gateway to our memory. Now, um, let me share with you uh, a personal story just to demonstrate it. So uh, it was uh, a few years ago. We were sitting in the old family. After Friday family dinner, we were sitting in the living room. And then my oldest daughter, she turns to me and asks how I met her daddy. So I told her the story. I told her that I went with a couple of my friends to a dance club. And as we entered the club, I saw him standing near the bar with a couple of his friends. And he was so good looking. And then we went to the dance floor, started dancing. And after a few flirty looks, he came over, turns to my friend and asked if he can steal me away from them. And this is how it all began. And he's there, sitting there, listening to me, telling the story and says, oh my God, Liraz, it was nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> you came on to me. And for a minute there, I was sure he's kidding, but he wasn't kidding. And, you know, today, after studying the dynamic nature of our memory, I know that he wasn't kidding because our memory is greatly influenced by our, our current mindset and our prior expectations and our emotion, of course. And that is why. And this is a very important lesson. It doesn't matter what really happened through the digital experience. What matters is what we are going to remember from the experience, right? So in order to study emotions in the digital world, we have developed this model uh, according to which the emotions evoked are the results of our prior expectations and our current mindset. 
and by prior expectation. I mean that after a long period interacting with the digital world, we have developed mental models that guide our expectation as to what to expect from different online experiences. And what do I mean by mental model? For example, you are going to a restaurant right now. You will know how to behave. You know that you need to wait for the hostess, first date. We know how to behave. So we have mental model for these things after interacting with them. So if the actual interaction, uh, online interaction, meets our expectation, it is considered to be a non-event and no emotions are evoked. So, for example, if I'm, uh, I want to buy a certain uh, product and I immediately see it, so it's great, but it's not that it's going to evoke a positive emotion. This is what I expected and that's it. But if the actual interaction uh, is below our expectation, meaning that it's negative to what uh, we expected, then the experience will be associated with a negative emotion. However, if the experience rises above our expectation, then we can talk about peak experiences and delight, and then the experience will be associated with a positive emotion. So uh, it is extremely important to understand our prior expectation. And just to give you an example, um, there is something that we need to understand about our brain. Our brain did not develop as fast as our technology. And one of the basic human needs is the crave for control. And the response to the loss of control is the same. And it doesn't matter if we are in the jungle fighting for our life, if we are trying to cross a busy street, or if we are on stage in front of a big crowd. So recently we helped one of our clients, a global news organization, to analyze the customer's behavior on their pages. And they were trying to push video content by having them load automatically on their pages. So what we saw when we observed the behavior is that whenever the customer entered the website and counted the video, immediately clicked on the pause button. 85% of the customers, they encountered the videos and click on the stop button because clicking on the pause button puts the control back into it, their own hands. So it's not about the video was slick and well-designed. It's not about the video. It's about our prior expectation and our emotion and you know, different emotions affect whole different functions. So they influence information processing and memory in different ways. And it is extremely important to understand this. Interesting. So that autoplay video took the control away from me. My expectation was for control. So there was this negative delta of the experience exactly. versus my expectation. And do I have this right? Um, the the further the delta is from the, the expectation, positive or negative, the more likely that emotion is to uh, be preserved in our memory. Exactly. Um, it, it, and it depends because if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, negative experiences are quicker and more likely to form long-lasting memories because from our brain perspective, it is much more valuable to hold on to those negative experiences. And there is something that we need to know about our brain's memory system. Our brain's memory system works something like a pen and a notebook. So for a brief time before the ink dries, it's possible to smudge what's written. But after the memory is consolidated, it changes very little. So you need to be self-aware about the emotions that are evoked in your uh, websites and products. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened to you and your husband at your meeting, right? Is you you both had this expectation and smudged the memory <laughs> yeah. at the time, and now they're heavily imprinted yeah. uh, years later. And I'm sure your memory was the accurate one, by the way. But, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, the uh, Another thing that's odd about that emotional memory that I've heard, and tell me if I have this wrong, but I've heard that 
sequence can also have some impact. So we've always had this this uh, piece of common advice that like the first and last experience in a, yeah. a path are more likely to be imprinted in that memory right. than some of the intermediate. And shifts. Yeah. Also shifts. Okay. So for example, if you go on a vacation, so when let's say, say that you are visiting two different states, so the shifts between uh, when you move from one state to another, then you are going to uh, imprint it as well. And, uh, you know, Kahneman has a really great analogy about emotion. He says that in one of his lectures in the Q&A session, there was a man. And the man says that he has been listening to a symphony. And it was absolutely uh, glorious music. And at the very end of the recording, there was a dreadful scratching sound. And then he added really quite emotionally, it ruined the whole experience for me. But think about it. It hadn't. He had had the experience. He had had 20 minutes of glorious music. They counted for nothing because he was left with the memory. The memory was ruined and the memory was whole. He had gotten to keep. Yeah. And so I think there's even things like uh, I, I have a three-year-old at home um, and, you know, going to the doctor is stressful um, and they, you know, they give you all these immunization shots. And now right. they like they give you a dose of sugar at the end of the shots. And I, I presume that part of that is so that like the last thing final that experience. final experience that kid has is like a nice, nice dose of sugar rush, which right. uh, I feel like every time I go shopping, if someone would just give me a hit of caffeine at the end, I feel like that would be a really smart. Exactly. Um, a smart thing. It, it's interesting because I talk with clients a lot about uh, the the role of brand. Um, and to me, brand works both ways. There's a psychologist at uh, Stanford, uh, Professor Simpson, that does um, – he has this principle called the absolute value. And essentially it's, hey, brand uh, has often been a surrogate for quality. When we can't judge the quality of products, we associate quality with the familiar brand. Right. Um, but that in the modern world, it's much easier to judge the true quality of products. We have access to all this information at our fingertips. And in an environment where it's easy to get objective information, brand becomes less important as a surrogate for quality. And so... Yeah, I think that it's not about the, the fact that brands become less important. It's about that people... The, the, we, meaning the growing flood of information, goods and services, they merge and mingle in our memory and we cannot separate one brand from another. And that is why when our brain needs to choose a product from a multitude of products that share more or less the same characteristics, the deciding factor will always be the emotions that are attached to that brand. So deciding to buy a certain brand has nothing to do with the features of and benefit of that product. Think about your own smartphone. How many of you can elaborate uh, yours on uh, the differences between your smartphone to the competition? Maybe a few, I bet. Most of us choose based on the emotions that are attached to that brand. So if there is a direct association between that product and a positive emotion, you normally need to decide. You don't need to think about the uh, benefit. You just need to feel and, you know, Gladwell wrote in his book, Blink, about the emotional shortcut. He wrote that the only way that human beings could have ever survived a species for as long as we have is that we have developed another kind of decision-making apparatus that is capable of making very quick judgment based on very little information. So if you have this emotional shortcut, you don't need to think. You just need to feel. Yeah, exactly. And that's always like, so when I do the absolute value thing to a 
very famous brand, they're always disheartened, like, oh, my, my brand's less valuable. And, and then that's my yeah. counterpoint. No, brand still has super important roles. It's, it's, a, an emo- it's a shortcut to these emotions. And it can be uh, permanently associated with these emotions. Now, the one downside of that is the relative to expectation clause, right? Because yeah. as you develop a great brand, the expectations – uh, go up with that brand, and then it, it becomes increasingly difficult for Apple, which is already beloved. If they make a product that like disappoints customers in any way, it's a negative association versus exactly. maybe a Samsung where where if it, it yeah, surprises and delights exactly. And yeah, and it is very easy to disappoint our customers. I think this is the most easiest thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. and and you mentioned that like you know most of us like pick our phone um, and couldn't describe why we we pick it i would even argue it's worse most people will try to describe it they'll rationalize it yeah and not even realize that actually those rational reasons you just stated had nothing to do exactly. with why you and so i always like on the internet we're this big echo chamber and uh, you know you follow my twitter feed and you'll see thousands of studies and all these studies are like surveys of stated preferences and i hate those studies because again those are consumers that are rationalizing why they did something instead of exactly. an observed study. Yeah, we keep seeing this in psychological studies. There is a gap between what people will tell you and how they really feel. And you know what? It's not because they are lying to you. They are not lying. It's because we just don't have a clue regarding what motivates our behavior. And there is a great experiment that was recently conducted that demonstrated. So um, customers' brain were scanned using fMRI device. And uh, this technique measures changes in blood flow that correspond to increase and decrease in mental activity. And the interesting finding was that customers were shown different products as part of the go-to-market strategy of these products. And interestingly, if a customer declares that he's going to purchase a certain product, but there was not an increase in the emotional brain area, those products usually fail. So it's not about asking people. It's about trying to find out a different measurement to understand how they felt. Very cool. And uh, that's actually going to be a great place to leave it because it's happened again. We've used up all our allotted oh time. Oh, my God. It, uh, I know it, it, it goes uh, too fast, but um, and uh, I could deep dive in a bunch of these topics with you. It would be, be fascinating. Um, but if listeners want to continue the conversation or they have further questions, we have a Facebook page. They're welcome to go to Facebook and post questions, and uh, uh, I'll be happy to forward them to you. And oh, we can, it will be great. We, we can continue Definitely. the dialogue there. If listeners want to um, get in touch with you directly, are you like, is there a, do you have a preferred, like, do you, are you active on Twitter? Or do you like Sure. Twitter? On Twitter, on LinkedIn, and of course, uh, if they are going to post questions to the Facebook, I will be more than happy to address their questions. We, we sure appreciate it. I will put your links in our show notes. Um, and as always, if you enjoyed today's show, we sure would appreciate it if you jump on the iTunes and give us that five-star review. There are still rational listeners that want to read those, those, <laughs> those reviews to pick a podcast. Um, and, uh, you know, you can imagine uh, Scott and Jason's great-looking uh, pictures if you, if you want to go with the emotional reason to listen to our podcast. Uh, But thank you guys very much. And until next time, happy commercing. Thank you. You've been listening to the Jason and Scott show for all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 